This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuning in to the new TNN. Pop culture addicts, welcome back to the new TNN for a truly special edition of Top Man, where you're going to get some list-based entertainment. My name is Johnny C. And you know, it's a stressful time right now. It's December, and boy, oh boy, can we really get bogged down in the minutia of all the holiday activities. But I'll tell you what, guys, if you really step back and think about it, December is a time for celebration it's a time for reflection and it's a time to spread joy and that's why this episode is top man joy to the wrestling world it's a short list but we're going to kind of switch things up a little bit and it's going to feel a little different so december is kind of a downtime in the world of professional wrestling usually and there's not a lot of stuff to watch. I mean, sure, folks are still producing content, but usually it's kind of a downtime or a lull period where we're just waiting for the Royal Rumble and the road to WrestleMania, of course. And we're also very busy. We may not have time to sit down and watch a three-hour unique brand of weekly entertainment. So what I've put together is a top man list, but it's also sort of a playlist. It's four matches that are absolutely designed to spread cheer and joy across the wrestling world. One could even argue that these matches transcend the entire world of wrestling. And let's not kid ourselves, folks. There are a lot of matches out there that transcend the world of wrestling. Hulk and Andre, Steamboat Savage, Rock Hogan, Styles Nakamura, Omega Okada, I mean, you will find that all of those matches are in good company here on this list. But it's not just a list where I'm going to talk about the matches. I'm going to review them as if it were a wrestling-based program altogether, recap them, and just walk you through all the joyous moments of these encounters. And like I said, man, this is just designed to bring a smile to your face, to really help you remember some of those classic matches that help reaffirm why you are a wrestling fan. And that's a great place to start. Why are you a wrestling fan? Well, probably because you love how wrestling can be a method of storytelling. And who doesn't love an underdog story? I know I do. And what better place to start an underdog story than with Our first match on the Joy to the Wrestling World playlist coming in at number four. 
It's the blackest of hills in South Dakota, USA. A lot of good old-fashioned folks have rallied around a young man that is being picked on. A young man that goes by the name of Jay has been mocked for his physical deformity by two very mean bullies. Well, guess what, folks? Jay had a friend, and that friend was also being bullied. Not for a physical deformity, but primarily because he's really white trashy. And so Jay and the white trashy men formed a union to unite and defeat evil. And let's travel back to August 9th, 1998 for the number four most joyful match in wrestling history. The Bullers, Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff taking on Diamond, Dallas Page, and Jay Leno. Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mike Tanay are on the call. Right away, as Michael Buffer introduces the match, a gentleman in the crowd with handlebar mustache has painted a sign on some discarded, or excuse me, some discarded cardboard that says, Hi, Nelly. And so Nelly feels great joy. The crowd seems to be ready for a wrestling match, and so they make their motorbikes go vroom vroom, spreading joy to the thousands of innocent civilians just trying to get a good night of sleep. A young old man with a beard to his nipples seems to be happy because when he sees that he's on the television because a TV camera is in his face, he makes some silly biker faces. He's very happy. A young girl in a bikini sees that she's on the big TV, points at the big TV, and smiles. She's feeling joyful. The villains make their arrival, and Eric Bischoff is announced as being a talk show host and a star, putting some joy in his heart. Putting some joy in my heart? Well, Miss Elizabeth is wearing a see-through shirt, and believe it or not, she actually looks hot in her biker chaps. The Disciple accompanies these villains. Well... And he's happy to be called dangerous by Michael Buffer, but really, honestly, more happy to be collecting a paycheck. The final villain enters the fray, Hollywood Hogan. And he's happy to see that many individuals in the crowd have skin with a greater texture of leathericity than his own. Is that a word? I don't know, but I invented it. Some more fans seem to be happy because their signs get on the big TV. Signs that read, Hogan fears Viagra, or Hogan rides a Honda. Old people around the world united in celebration when they were excited to learn that Jay Leto has come out to the ring with some big band music playing, and it reminds them of memories past. Diamond Dallas Page is happy, according to Michael Buffer, to not be affiliated with any other cult or wrestling organization. Kevin Eubanks, the faithful band leader of the Tonight Show band, is happy and joyful to get to show off his insanely ridiculous huge guns on national television. And finally, Jay Leno, the child with the deformed chin, is happy to be announced at weighing in at only 205 pounds. Unfortunately, not everyone could lead this match happy and joyful. 
fictional television character, Jessica Spano, who got into Harvard, was not happy to see that Jay Leno carried a styrofoam cup to the ringside area. And uh-oh, I think we can add Hollywood Hogan and Eric Bischoff to the list of unhappy individuals as Jay Leno douses them with water from said styrofoam cup. The crowd begins a massive Hogan sucks chant, filling the young boy with a chin of gold with glee. The bell rings, and the match begins. Bobby the Brain Heenan wonders aloud, could Jay Leno potentially be a black belt? I suppose anything can happen in the crazy world of professional wrestling. Diamond Dallas Page and Hollywood Hogan begin the battle. Miss Elizabeth has her backside to the camera, and Johnny C is once again happy and joyful. Hogan throws his own sweat. Diamond Dallas Page points to his dick. And some classic wrestling begins as Hogan is slapped by Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno, then sloppily takes a swinging neckbreaker from Diamond Dallas Page. The crowd sure loves what happens next as Kevin Eubanks tosses Hollywood Hogan into the vicious steel post. Hogan instructs his disciple to keep an eye on Eubanks, and the disciple is just excited to be relevant. We get some big Hogan sucks chant. The crowd has truly rallied against bullying. That is their cause, and that's why they're here to put an end to the dangerous practice. Hulk Hogan takes control of the wrestling match and tags in Eric Bischoff. Jay Leno really, really, really wants to get into the ring, but the referee cannot allow these rule break scenarios to happen without a legal tag, and so he is distracted. Diamond Dallas Page, however, fights back and kicks Eric Bischoff squaw in the face. That's got to make somebody out there happy. Jay Leno gets the tag. Eric Bischoff flees in fear to tag Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So here it is, the moment the world was waiting for. Jay Leno gets to confront his bully in front of millions of society's greatest here in South Dakota, truly fulfilling a lifelong dream to find acceptance amongst his peers. Jay Leno is so quick that Hollywood Hogan can't even catch him. He's like a rabbit, or perhaps some sort of other animal that one might chase to train for a professional boxing or Royal Rumble encounter. He then mocks the hair of Hollywood Hulk Hogan, getting revenge for all of Hollywood's evil chin-based comments. However, he makes a smart move and tags Diamond Dallas Page so DDP can dish out some physical anguish to go with the mental anguish that Jay has caused. However, the vicious, tenacious Hollywood Hogan finds control in this wrestling encounter. Later, however, Diamond Dallas Page has control of Hulk Hogan's arm and makes the tag. Jay Leno enters and equips the full arm drag and twist. Jay Leno controls the arm of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Wrestling fans around the world cheer in unison as this man has proven that any of us, couch potatoes, podcasters, armchair quarterbacks, anyone out there could easily find refuge in the wars of sports entertainment. However, success often comes with risk as Leno later eats Hollywood Hulk Hogan knees. But however, Jay fights back and locks in another wrestling hold. This time, the full arm dragon twist and tags Diamond Dallas Page. 
Then a vicious double team clothesline is delivered. Leto covers Hogan. One, two. Oh, so close. So close, but I can feel the joy across the wrestling world rising as we're watching our number four match here on Top Man. Diamond Dallas Page chases Hulk Hogan to the outside. The evil Hollywoodster attempts to use a chair, but is thwarted by the genius of Kevin Eubanks. Hogan goes to punch the bandsman squaw in the face, but Eubanks, much like Captain America, blocks, and Hogan accidentally punches the chair. Bischoff attempts to even the sides, and even though his vicious karate kick doesn't affect Diamond Dallas Page, this distraction allows Hollywood to become dominant here in South Dakota. Eric Bischoff is then legally tagged in and uses his black belt skills to back Diamond Dallas Page close to baby in the corner. But the cocky villain turns his back and DDP takes control. The disciple attempts to rescue his man. The referee is distracted and Hollywood uses an illegal object to punish the skull of Diamond Dallas Page. Eric Bischoff covers one, two, no! The power of white trash lives! Hogan is now legal. Leno wants desperately to help, but threatening to enter the ring illegally does nothing but hinder his ultimate goal as the referee continues to be distracted by his outside antics. Hogan displays his horrendous acumen for bullying when a fan yells, Hogan sucks! And he audibly retorts, so does your mother! And delivers the big boot to Diamond Dallas Page. But DDP fights back with an insigary lariat from the People's Champion. Both gladiators seek refuge from their corners. Successful tags are made on both ends. And now the gods have left their perch on Mount Olympus and come to do battle here in the Black Hills of South Dakota as Eric Bischoff stands face to face with Jay Leno! Leno enters the hair pull mode. No, but an eye rake from Bischoff. Leno fights for all of us, however, and finds the courage to punch Easy e and the dick-based area. Right cross, right hook, face delivered to the buckle for the count of ten. Leno is winded. Bischoff is down. Hollywood stalks. The disciple attacks Diamond Dallas Page on the outside. The referee is distractive. Eric Bischoff has a hold of the innocent Jay Leno. Hogan rushes forward. Come on, Jay! Fight for what's right! Fight for your life! He does it! Jay ducks! Hogan strikes Bischoff. DDP and Hogan eliminate themselves from the equation. Eric Bischoff is all alone. Kevin Eubanks enters. He signals to his friend, Jay-Z. He strikes! He cuts the diamond of Eric Bischoff! Leno covers! One! Two, three! And all is right in the wrestling universe, ladies and gentlemen. Bullying is defeated. Leno survives to fight another day, and joy is spread to the entire internet wrestling community. Wow. Folks, that is the type of match that puts a smile on your face. And to think it's only number four. So, well, yeah, guys, I mean, I think that, uh, I, at least I hope that you guys agree, you know, with my choice for number four, um, you know, it's a watershed moment, in professional wrestling, uh, you know, letting us know that, uh, you don't have to be trained, you don't have to be an athlete, you can just walk off the street, 
come in and take out uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And, you know, I think it gave us all the confidence that we needed to do things like, I don't know, make our own wrestling podcast, even though we don't have any professional broadcasting capabilities or even a worthwhile opinion. It's not like I've ever booked for a wrestling company or anything like that. So uh, I'm just a fat guy with a microphone, you know. I don't even have a microphone. I have like a $20 headset I bought at Kmart. So, yeah. It is what it is. But here I am. There Jay was. And by God, we got there together. The match gets better, I feel like, every time I watch it. But as things always do in life, we press forward to number three. Ladies and gentlemen, there are not many universal truths left in the world today, I'm sad to say. You know, we used to be able to agree on so many things, big or small. The earth is round. Germs are bad. Country music blows ass. But thankfully, there are all those things I've mentioned. You know, the country music, the germs, the earth. Those are minuscule compared to the one universal truth that we can all still hold in our hearts. Kevin Nash was and is a hero of the professional wrestling world. From his early days... When he purposefully allowed himself to be booked with goofy gimmicks like Oz and Vinny Vegas just to make us laugh when we were kidsters. Or when he took week when he took weeks off from his paid wrestling gig to appear in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. He knew that his performance could give us a villain that our heroes in a half shell could overcome to inspire us. Kevin believed in T-U-R-T-L-E power, and we believed in him. He didn't change one bit when he was the WWF champion in 1995 and responsible for the single most profitable year in WWF history. Then in 96, he stepped down as WWF champion and took a pay cut, mind you, to go work for WCW to allow his best friend Shawn Michaels to claim the top spot in the WWF. He didn't even do it for himself. He did it for his butster. Now, we look at a man like Rey Mysterio Jr., a man that flies across the ring, putting himself and his opponents at constant risk. Rey Mysterio Jr., a man that refused to obey the simple laws of gravity as he constantly tried to disprove them live on WCW Nitro, spitting in the face of the scientific community. Rey Mysterio Jr., a man that dressed like a superhero, but was merely a supervillain, constantly trying to outshine the veterans that paved the way, refusing to just lay down because the other guy was simply bigger. I mean, how could any of the big guys look good if they lose to the little guy, Ray? Hmm? However, the scene is Super Brawl 9. Kevin Nash has vowed to unmask this villain in the defense of all that is good and innocent in the world. Ray Mysterio agreed, but forced Kevin Nash to put his hair on the line. Kevin was more than willing, as he was going to donate his hair to a charity anyway. But Ray altered the contract, stating that if Kevin lost, the hair was to be incinerated at ringside, so no donations would be possible. At this moment, the innocent and vivacious Miss Elizabeth volunteered! This moment would later be dramatized in the hit Lionsgate film, The Hunger Games, I might add. She volunteered to put her hair on the line in his steed. The battlefield was Super Brawl 9. Ray 
had recruited his sidekick, the Conan, to be his tag team partner. Kevin received help from his hetero life mate, Scott Hall. It's February 21st. It's 1999. It's the Oakland Arena in Oakland, California. Folks, it's the number three list here on Top Man. It's the number three match that brings joy to the wrestling community. It is indeed the battle of mask versus hair. Tony, Bobby, and Mike Tanay are on the call here in Oakland. Oh! The call of the Wolfpack penetrates the Oakland arena. A young collegiate female bounces carefully so she doesn't spill her drink or allow her bosoms to escape here on a pay-per-view basis. But she smiles as the rest of us do when Kevin Nash, Miss Elizabeth Lex Luger, whom I might add was recently injured by Rey Mysterio, and they all welcome Scott Hall to this battle for honor and glory. A barber's chair threatens the outsiders and Miss Elizabeth in the entranceway, but Nash refuses to give in to the threats. Liz looks on proudly. She knows the truth. He fights for us. Lex Luger even agreed to wear a hideous red-on-red quadruple XL ensemble so more people would pay attention to Kevin Nash as opposed to looking at his metamorphic physique. That is a real man. Even Meryl Streep, who was at ringside watching while wearing some shades, danced in tribute to the executioner. Seriously, go back and take a look. She appears at 1 hour, 19 minutes, and 17 seconds. That's got to be her, man, right? The music fades. The sexman has the mic. Oaktown Kelly! However, he says nothing further. He's saving it all for the match. Even Tony Schiavone is a little saddened. When on commentary, he states, Did we get a wolf pack in the house? The evil theme of Rey Mysterio starts... Okay, I guess we didn't. This thuggish tune brings us Conan and Rey Mysterio. Conan, the man who once teamed with Rey Jr.'s uncle, the great Rey Mysteric at Starcade 90. Their theme song even has the audacity to mock mathematics, spitting in the face of educational tradition. Rey is dressed in a hooded cloak, Shades of the unknown man that was caught on video assaulting the Jedi younglings in the Jedi Temple, I might add. Conan, Conan, Conan is wearing some evil flannel. Bobby the Brain Heenan lets us know that masked men ruin their local communities. All he knows was something to hide, where the mask, Shivani. Oh, what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you today. Conan takes the mic and speaks in tongues, evoking the ancient demon Pazuzu, I believe. He then mocks strawberries, despite their nutritional value. And the bell rings, and as I'd mentioned, it's Hair V. Mask, Outsiders versus Conan, and Ray Mysteric Jr. Ray's mask is black, as are Conan's shirt and pants, so clearly they are the bad guys. Mike Tanay defends Ray Mysterio on commentary, again, clearly making Ray the bad guy. Scott Hall and Ray start. Now, Ray has something stuck in his teeth from the pre-match breakfast. Uh, so Scott Hall offers him the toothpick. Ray spits his gum at Hall. Tanay and the Brain start arguing on commentary about the validity of the mask in WCW versus Mexican wrestling. It makes sense, and it's fine. But 
eventually it carries on and on and gets way past the point and Tony has to yell, shut up! But as you can see, I illustrate this to bring to you my point. This match is tearing apart the wrestling world. Rey Mysterio needs to know he's the tiny guy. He's not the cool guy. Nash is the cool guy. And he's the big guy. Okay? So, let's just get there. Lock up. Hall shows Ray that he has him outnumbered in the power department. Lock up number two sees Hall again push Ray back. Lock up number three sees Mysterio hit an arm drag. I think he used Hall's hair to make the uh, Hall man flip over so quickly because this move was way too fast. Normal human should have been able to pull it off. Wonder if the demon Pazuzu is empowering Mysterio. Hmm? Ray then wiggles his fingers to mock Scott Hall. Luckily, it was indeed just mockery of the NWO's patented finger wiggle. I thought for a second, because Ray's so evil, he may be attempting to cast a wizard spell. But again, regardless, no effect on Hall. Ray then trips Scott Hall. Hall kicks back, as a man does. Ray slips out of a slam and drops Kevin Na- or excuse me, drops Scott Hall low with a kick. Ray then illegally flips through the ropes. You have to break on the ropes. You can't flip through them. And then he jumps off the ropes illegally again because you can't jump off the ropes. You have to break on the ropes. His, uh, you know, he hits Hall off the ropes and then leg drops Na- uh, Hall again off the ropes. <laughs> then hits a rope-assisted Luthes press. And then for no reason at all, Ray punches Kevin Nash, who's just standing in the corner watching the match, trying to plan his legal strategy. Nash's face, though, reads to me, Okay, Ray, not bad. Let's, uh, let's see you do it again. Hall fights back, though, and traps Ray in the SOS maneuver. Hall then points to Nash, and the tag is made. Nash shows his strength with, as Tony calls, the Beal! Ray is beeled across the entire ring. Ray tries a sunset flip pin. Upon the visual, Oakland laughs. Probably not what they were going for, but folks, it happened. Ray is then ragdolled with a double neck hang toss. Sure, that sounds like something Shivani would say. Even though I love you, Tone. Hall is back in, as Nash has to conserve his strength for later. I think at this point, Bobby the Hebrate Heated mumbles the word asshole regarding Mike Tanay or Tony Schiavone on commentary. Again, tearing the world apart, but if somebody would go back and watch this match and tell me if they hear asshole, I'd love to know. I could be, uh, you know, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Hall uses legal open-hand slaps and legal reverse knife-edge chops in the match. He then signals for the outsider's edge. Ray slides out, though, from the crucifix position, I'm not sure that the ref checked to make sure that Mysterio wasn't illegally greased down. If not, that's a mistake on the referees. They should probably go back to referee school. Conan is tagged and uses illegal closed fist. Nash is knocked outside over the top rope, which is illegal in Dubsy Dub, I might add. Nash climbs up on the apron. Conan, in a scene of serendipitous... uh, Irony, uh, what is it, payback or fucking whatever, tit for tat. Conan bounces off the ropes and collides with Kevin Nash's fist. So, ha ha, Conan. What is it, though? It is, you get, you get, you reap what you sow. You come up and, no, that's not the word. It's a single fucking word. 
Eh, you know what? I, I quit podcasting until I remember it. See, Scott Hall bounces off, Conan bounces off the ropes and gets what he deserves. No, gets uh, his comeuppance. No, you know what? Fuck it. Double down in the ring. Hall is up and he tags Big Sexy. Big Sexy strikes with knees to Conan. Nash puts him up in the corner. He checks the shot. All right, let me just make sure the lens is good. What are we doing here? We do it a do it a one three five, two three five. You're crazy. What? Are you, hold on. You're shooting this for. You're doing I'm straight for D, streaming IMAX or Blu-ray, man. What are we shooting for? All right, we're shooting for Blu-ray. Here we go. Boom. Nash hits the Citizen Pain elbow, which is what I'm calling it now, because you know. Uh, Citizen Kane's a hell of a picture. Yeah. The things Wells did, though. I mean, uh, we could be here all day. Let me just say this. You show me a better use of miniatures in a film, pre-40s, post-talkies, and I'll eat your hat. It's Kevin Nash. Kind of a film critic. Anyway, Conan goes after Hall. But Hall defends himself for the clothesline and is brought into the match. Conan fights back with more illegal fists. Conan goes for the potato peeler clothesline. Scott Hall has it scouted and ducks, but then they clothesline each other. Both men are down, but up at the count of nine and eventually tag their partners. Here we go, Ray and Nash, one more time. Springboard by Ray Mysterio Jr., but then... Ray attacks Scott Hall as well. He uses Nash as a springboard and kicks Scott Hall into the corner. Conan enters, illegally, and does what he does best. He lays down on his back. But he also flips Ray with his feet. And Ray hits a pretty cool but still illegal kick because it's double team maneuver. Ray sexually assaults Hall by sticking his dick in his face with the Bronco Buster. Conan attacks the injured Lex Luger on the outside. Ray moonsaults Nash and strikes him in the face with his knee. There's probably some sort of an illegal metal brace under those tights as well. Now, Miss Elizabeth, upon seeing Ray cheat with the illegal brace-covered knee, starts to have a panic attack because of the cheating, and she's fearful she'll lose her hair. The referee, who is a trained medical physician as well, helps her relax by talking to her. Now, Ray tries to make a pin here, but the ref is clearly called timeout, not only to do the right thing, but also putting a stop to the match proceedings. Nash is adhering to the timeout by just laying down and taking a breather. All right. Ray jumps into the arms of Scott Hall. Scott sees the timeout's been called and tries to stand up straight, but falls on his knees. Uh, he's going to let Mysterio down, but Ray struggles and ends up sliding towards the mat head first. Now Nash is up and he goes to check on Ray. The ref calls time in. Nash is over Ray and a, you know, one, two, three, which is also the right thing, I might add, because now the ref has called time in and you can legally pin. Uh, Nash and Hall win, so there's no more supervillains. Upon seeing Rey Mysterio slide out of Scott Hall's arms, he yells, Scott Hall, put Rey in his move! I was confused. I did rewind it. And you know what? In a grand stroke of irony, while Rey Mysterio was trying to attack Scott Hall, he kind of fell into an outsider's edge. Huh. Well, you reap what you sow, Rey. Afterwards, Hall and Nash demand that for freedom, 
To be secure, Rey Mysterio removes his mask. You can see fake tears in Rey Mysterio's eyes. Oh, I'm sure he put some fucking visine in him to make it look like he was really crying. He actually spits on Holland Nash. Conan unties the mask. The final lace is undone. The mask is removed. Bobby the Brain Heenan makes the call. Let's leave it to Beaver. Nash looks as if he's seen a ghost. Tony proclaims that Ray is a handsome young man. Mike Tanay wonders how this will affect the career of Ray Mysterio going forward. Ow! The theme music of the Wolfpack hits. Survey says, one more for the good guys. So, uh, yeah. What do you think, listeners? Uh, how are we doing so far? Is everybody feeling joyful? Are we feeling that this is a list that truly unites us as wrestling fans and gives us everything that we could possibly ask for? Oh, I think that it is. It definitely teaches us some lessons about the reality of the wrestling business. And I hate to do it, but I have to admit, I must admit, I'm breaking character a little bit here. Not so much character as in I don't believe... Well, okay, I, a, lot, a lot of the stuff that I've been saying is exaggerated a little bit. Um, and perhaps non-factual. Sort of a character of a guy who misinterprets everything about what they're watching. But um, there are some lessons to be learned from the top... T- or from uh, match four and match three. Uh, those being that, folks, this is an entertainment business regardless of how much sometimes we might want it to be sport. And whether or not you think it's a good idea, it's going to happen. So try to find the positives in it. That being your Jay Leno type match. Another thing is, uh, well, sometimes common sense doesn't win. In the case of the uh, why would you uh, take away the merchandising potential of of a hot, flashy character that people like to look at. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. Our number two match is the reason that I'm <clears throat> breaking character here. Because I'm not quite sure what it is about this next match. I couldn't put my finger on which angle to take and which side to support. And there are multiple reasons for that. So I should probably just tell you that our next encounter comes from Phoenix, Arizona. Am I pronouncing that properly? It's the 2013 or 26th annual Royal Rumble. And it's the main event for the WWE Championship. 434 days into his reign, some punk defends against Dwayne The Rock Johnson on his quest to gain the WWE Championship after a 10-year absence. On paper... Sounds like a humdinger. But in all actuality, at this point in my life, I don't know if I'm more fed up with Dwayne or if I'm more fed up with Phil. And and, and I really beat this. And I've got some reasons why. I feel like Dwayne, at this point in time, is just playing a character as a human being. And while I do sort of respect that, because you kind of have to do that when you're someone in the public sphere like Dwayne Johnson. Like, you have to be on 24-7. And the problem with CM Punk 
is he doesn't seem to understand that sometimes you got to be a character when you're in the public sphere. You know, imagine a scenario of equal or lesser value. All right, it's the exact same scenario. You're and you know, take away any sort of individual situations, whether punk's in a bad mood, rock's in a bad mood, whether or not we have to wear a mask, whether or not we're worried about germs. Let's just fucking all things being equal, CM Punk and The Rock are in an airport. No security. They're by themselves. You don't create a scene. You simply walk up as a fan. And in each scenario, you're wearing that person's shirt. So when you go to see Dwayne, let's say you've got a Black Adam lightning bolt shirt on. All right? And let's say with Punk, you've got his whatever his modern AEW merch is. Okay? Even though it's really not uh, modern AEW merch anymore. So you walk up to Dwayne and you say, excuse me, you, you know, rock. I just wanted to say, you know, the, whatever you would say to a celebrity slash superstar um, that would be cordial without overstepping or, you know, being like, we'll we get a picture, like just normal, like, hey, I just wanted to say, as you can tell from the shirt, I'm a big fan and thanks for, you know, the entertainment. You know, I'm sure Rock would be like, oh, but Mahalo, you know, that's great. Oh, why don't you come over here? Let's get a picture. Oh, the hell with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take a look at this. Now, Ray, no, no, I'm the only one that raises the eyebrow. Let's take a look at a selfie. Now, don't go tagging me unless I have my team approve this. Let's cock the eyebrow and say, seven bucks. Seven bucks. All right, now get out of here, you jabroni. But really, Mahalo, thank you so much. And he gives you the five, and then you walk away. And in his head, he thinks to myself, oh, God, I can't fucking stand when that happens oh but i'm glad it happens because i've got a hell of a lot more than seven bucks in my pocket (laughs) that's not an evil laugh that's just a laugh because it's like yeah it might suck when i have to fucking deal with the plebeians but i get paid now imagine the same situation with punk everything goes the same way it went with rock he probably doesn't say mahalo i mean he might that's fine i don't care if he does He's probably not posing for the or inviting you to take the picture. If he does pose for the picture, he's probably flipping you off, which is fine. Like I don't have a problem with that. But here's, well, let, let's just pretend that Punk does the same shtick. He he poses for the picture. He thanks you, says mahalo, maybe gives you the straight edge X, and you walk away. In his quiet moment, in his mind, he's like, "Oh God, what a fucking mark, idiot." Even though, you know, he's wearing the CM Punk shirt and he just, you know, just told you you're a big fan. See, that's the problem with Punk. You're just an idiot if you buy into it. And the problem with Dwayne is if you buy into it, you're just another number on the bottom line. So who's better here? Well, I think Dwayne because he at least sees some sort of value in you. CM Punk seems like the type of guy that would make fun of you for even talking about what CM Punk is doing. You know, ah, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so from the New York newspaper. I'd love to get a comment for the newspaper. Why the fuck do you want a comment for the newspaper, you fucking mark? It's like, well, I was trying to cover a news story and maybe make you look good, but fuck you, Phil. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand why you don't play the game. Because there are certain times when the character doesn't match the scenario. Because if the paper reports that, I tried to get a comment and got the finger and was told to fuck off. They're thinking that Phil said that, not CM Punk the character. See, Dwayne knows how to work people. Now, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Well, I initially picked this match because 
I don't like CM Punk because of the whole scenario I just outlined. I think that CM Punk thinks you're stupid for even coming to the show. Like, I feel like he, he, I don't know, like, I don't get it and I don't understand it. Um, now, hey, I hate people for less, so I get it. Uh, you're allowed to hate people. That's fine. But I feel like you shit where you eat, whereas Rock at least puts up the facade that keeps you happy enough to be like, all right, that's fine. I'll vote for him for president or whatever the fuck it is. I'll buy the shirt. I'll, I'll pay the extra $40 for the Under Armour. I'll go see Hobbs and Shaw Part 2. And that's what burns Phil alive. The fact that here in 2013, he's the 434-day WWE champion. That means something. Guess what? It don't mean shit unless we want it to mean shit. Because at the end of the day, you're a product that we're selling. Your performance matters. I can't sell you if your performance is shit. Whereas The Rock, his performance may not be as up to snuff, but he's a product I can sell inside the ring, outside the ring, talking in the ring, taking a picture at ringside, at a press conference afterwards, on the silver screen. He is a product that is consumable 24-7 when all you do for me is impress some folks for 20 minutes in between the bell. And what's more important? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But uh, maybe we should get into the match and talk about how both of these products handle themselves, and then at the end of the match decide who was truly worthy in 2013. The full-time wrestler or the full-time entertainer. Which is the better investment? Clearly it's The Rock. Although I don't know if I could say that now. Did you guys hear Black Adam's going to lose like $100 million? And it couldn't have happened to a better movie. Fuck Black Adam. It's so bad. And, uh, I say that as a guy who has released multiple podcasts praising the art form of comic books, okay? I'm the target audience. I'm allowed to say, fuck you, Black Adam. So fuck you, Black Adam. And fuck you, Hawkman, too. Worst performance in the history of our sport. How does Hodges Hawkman? Probably one of the worst written superhero characters of all time, but uh, shit performance, too. I'm off the rails. This is why I don't press play and then ad-lib too much. Most of what I say is ad-lib, but, uh, you know, sometimes I at least have guiding points, like uh, Irish Whip. There's my talking point. Talk about the Irish Whip and make it special. Uh, but I-, I just don't get it with these two. It's like they're they're so interesting because they're cut from the exact same cloth. They both absolutely have a desire to be the best, the most important, the flashiest, the most expensive, the highest valued. They both really do, except... Dwayne has his sight set so much higher. And CM Punk, it's like, I'm a great wrestler. And, you know, I love wrestling. But wrestling is... I mean, look at a guy like Bret Hart, who I'm going to make fun of later. Sure, Bret Hart's a great wrestler. That and a cup of coffee will get you some fucking weed. Nothing wrong with that. Bret's certainly having a good time. But I just, like... Ah, I don't know. I'm not trying to slam these guys too hard. Sometimes they deserve it. But, you know, and I'm sure if CM Punk were to hear this, I'd be the fat guy on the internet, Mark, for even saying his name. And that's fine. I understand going in that I'm going to be that. But at the same time, I'm a Mark who knows where to invest the money. Hypothetically. Even though I saw Black Adam and I haven't purchased any AEW pay-per-views. So, 
It is what it is. Let's talk specifically about 2013. Who will the fans decide? Rock, punk, or punk rock? Oh, I like the sound of that. We get a video recap that sort of gives us CM Punk being a babyface and defending the strap during his long reign. At Raw 1000, CM Punk attacks The Rock and turns heel. I remember this being a real big thing, and it's cool that I got to see a little reflection of it here. Then in the fall, uh, CM Punk found himself in situations where he was defending against challengers like Ryback, and the world was introduced to The Shield! The Shield have debuted, and they're protecting CM Punk in his title defenses. But CM Punk doesn't know who The Shield is. He has nothing to do with The Shield. We see The Shield actually attack The Rock, and it's so weird in my head. Like, I'm trying so hard to reconcile all this. Seeing the members of The Shield, Ambrose, Rollins, and of course Roman Reigns, fighting The Rock. It's crazy to me that this actually happened. I didn't remember it. It's like two generations that should never touch touching. And I'm okay with it. I don't mean that should never touch. I just mean it's crazy that Rock is existing in the same world with the actual S.H.I.E.L.D., especially Roman, if, you know, whatever happens, happens. We'll see. Vince McMahon later appeared on Raw and told CM Punk that if the S.H.I.E.L.D. interfered at the Royal Rumble, CM Punk would be stripped. The video ends, and ladies and gentlemen, Josh Matthews, the little stupid-looking fuck that he is, introduces The Rock. Wow, you better get Josh Matthews out of here quick before The Rock really makes a little bastard cry. Thankfully, Josh Matthews has the wherewithal to just leave because The Rock is about to pontificate and he needs some room to maneuver. Because The Rock, you know, he gets the mic and he's just moving around everywhere. He's really in the moment, if you will. Uh, Rock cuts what might be the most babyface promo of all time. Because CM Punk says that the fans don't matter. Well, guess what, fans? You do matter. We all matter. Everyone matters. Sort of putting like a, a rock face on everything. It sounds like The Rock's Instagram. You matter. And you can accomplish amazing things with just seven bucks in your pocket. And sure enough, he even tells the seven bucks story here at the Royal Rumble live from Ray Fenix. He then mentions that his mama is here. And she just beat cancer. Which is great. Don't get me wrong, but The Rock has absolutely encased himself in some sort of babyface cocoon that cannot be penetrated if you smell what The Rock is cooking. CM Punk and Paul Heyman arrive with in living color plane, of course. You know what else I don't like about CM Punk? His stupid thing where he draws the line in the sand and actually pantomimes like he's got sand in his hand. You know, and he like moves his fingers around like sands through the hourglass. You know what else I hate? The way he yells, it's clobbering time! You know, I like the Fantastic Four to a lesser extent. I enjoy the thing. I'm more into Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman, but whatever. But I still fucking hate how he does this because he just sounds like an idiot. Punk, though, as a great heel, tears up a sign at ringside and enters the ring to await the challenger. Paul Heyman, of course, with CM Punk. Uh, you know, he's a Paul Heyman guy. What are you going to do? The Rock arrives to an insane pop. We get our super special championship match ring announcements. The Rock is cheered as the challenger. 
Punk is cheered as the champion. Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry the King Lawler are on the call. Michael Cole calls CM Punk's 434-day title reign. CM Punk's life work. Life's work, according to what I learned when talking to CM Punk. The bell rings, and here we go! It's a slugfest! Punk uses kicks to flare up an injury to the ribs of The Rock. I guess The Rock coughed up blood, as one's to do from the Attitude Era. That's a sickness that only Attitude Era wrestlers ever had to deal with. You know, Rock, Shamrock, Austin, only they can cough up the blood. But it happened after receiving the Shield Bomb. The crowd here in Ray Fenix is very, very wishy-washy. But it works for the match so well, they can't decide who to cheer and who to boo. I think they can't help but cheer The Rock, but all the neckbeards in the crowd are kind of like, well, see Punk's been here, man. He's been here the whole time, man. <laughs> you know, it's like Rock's coming in out of nowhere, clearly t- to take the gold to set up Mania, but Punk's here every week working hard. He's our savior. But, you know, as a wrestling fan, shouldn't you want wrestling to be important and matter? And you're not going to get there with CM Punk. It is about 50-50. Until they go outside and The Rock removes the front panel of the Spanish announce table. Punk quickly gets back control. And then in a move that I have to admit is genius even though it doesn't play into what Punk should be doing, CM Punk grabs the front panel that was ripped off of the Spanish announce table and reattaches it to the Spanish announce table. The crowd pops insane. CM Punk does a little prayer, bow, namaste sort of thing to the Spanish announce table, like, so sorry. And the crowd pops huge, like huge. CM Punk, the man, Phil knows what he's doing here. Uh, He's getting the crowd to love him instead of The Rock, but it's a dick move considering, you know, what he should be doing as the heel here. But it's fine. I'll give it to you, Phil. And I'm sure The Rock would, too. Oh, it's a hell of a performance you put on, Phil, you jabroni ass. Oh, you tried to outshine The Rock. It's not going to happen. But he, you know, he's getting his narrative across. And that's the problem. That's the easiest way to sum it up. Okay, but you, you do what you do out there as a performer. You ad-lib, it happens. I don't have a problem with ad-libbing, but just remember that if CM Punk's your guy, he's fucking up the narrative of the match. Paul Heyman, the sports entertainment genius that he is, attacks The Rock to try to get some heel heat back onto Punk. Smart. A few minutes later, they come back to the outside and CM Punk tosses the front panel off himself, but then puts it back to a weaker yet still very solid pop. It's also very weird to mine eyes to see that CM Punk is calling this match. It makes sense, he's the heel. But him ordering around The Rock is strange based on, I don't know, I guess the preconceived notions I have about The Rock's ego. So, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, I don't know. Both guys are pros in this match, aside from the table spot that I mentioned. Eventually... The Rock gets trapped in a leg scissors and things finally slow down in the match. But there has been a quick pace and Rock has been keeping up, so he's he's bringing it, no pun intended. Punk transitions into a submission-type maneuver that's very close to the Anaconda Vice, but The Rock gets free, and that kind of draws booze. Interesting. Punk cuts this off with a leg drop and walks over the abdomen of Punk 
or of rock treating him like garbage, which gets some cheers and boos. I can see that as a boss move for the CM Punk fans. The Rock desperately needs to yell, Shazam! But I think his abdomen injury won't allow it. We get some boots to asses chants and some cookie puss chants. You know, the crowd playing with The Rock's new catchphrases. JBL indicates that Punk is pinning CM Rock, or CM Punk, quite a bit. Um, to make The Rock have to kick out and weaken his abdomen muscles. That's sound logic, so I will allow it. And thank you, James. James Bradshaw Layfield, which is your name now, because I said it. The Rock is in great shape, Michael, but Punk is in ring shape, Michael. Heyman attacks again and then walks away like nothing happened, like doo 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 It's hilarious. A springboard dropkick sends Rock to the floor, but Michael Cole claims that CM Punk landed hard on his surgically repaired left knee. Well, did CM Punk decide to stage dive off camera or something? CM Punk then goes up top, even though he's fucked up his left knee, and hits a very weird-looking diving clothesline to the outside. CM Punk should just not come off the top rope. He connects, but then there's a little limp afterward and a big CM Punk chant. Inside the ring now, The Rock smells blood and attacks Punk's injured leg. But Punk is able to create separation by tossing The Rock outside, and CM Punk just casually does a suicide dive. Doesn't he get the story? Why is he doing babyface shit, first of all? And then why is he doing babyface shit with a busted leg? Now he does a springboard clothesline, but misses and grabs the knee. Again, it's weird to see Punk doing the babyface shit. Rock hits his patented shaky leg rock stomps and then slams the knee of a CM Punk. Rock hits a side rushing leg sweep and gets a two count. Rock bottom is attempted. Punk counters with elbows. Puts the Rock in a go-to-sleep position. But Rock catches the left knee that Punk was using to strike to put him to sleep. Trips up CM Punk. Sharpshooter! But it's countered into the Anaconda Vice! Oh my god! After a bit, though, the Rock counters the Anaconda Vice into a pin uh, sequence for two. Both men up. And the the SmackDown DDT is hit by The Rock. The crowd is building themselves into a frenzy. The Rock is up first. He's poised to strike. Rock bottom! No! Countered into a crucifix Anaconda Vice! The Rock rolls through and locks in the sharpshooter! Rock, of course, has the second best sharpshooter in the business. Behind the late great Owen Hart. It looks like CM Punk is going to tap. But no. He finds the rope. And the rope break garters massive boos from Phoenix, Arizona. The Rock, or the Punk, CM Punk that is. Too many words that end in K. Punk rolls outside. Rock follows. Short clothesline by The Rock. Shades of the Snake. And The Rock removes the front panel of the Spanish announce table to cheers. He then clears all the debris off of the table, slams CM Punk onto it. They trade blows. Rock gets on the table. Both men are standing. Punk signals for the goat to sleep. But no! Rock gets Punk in the rock bottom position! And the table breaks. Uh Uh-oh. Both men collapse. But I will say this. Since Punk was already in the rock bottom position, it still kind of looks like a rock bottom. And yeah, it wasn't supposed to happen. It's nobody's fault. But luckily, 
the narrative of the match can continue as intended because Rock pretty much lands on Punk. It looks like it really hurt Punk. So, you know, you can still get the point across, basically, that Rock, Rock Bottom, Punk. Rock, of course, immediately checks on CM Punk, that being Phil, to make sure that he's okay, because, you know, the Rock's a pro. And Punk's probably like, I'm fine, man, but the art of my match is ruined. Yeah, damn it, my fans want more. And Dwayne's like, dude, calm the fuck down. You're still alive. It doesn't fucking matter, because, you know, the Rock's a pro. Um, we talked about how it works well with the story. The Rock rolls in to break the count and then rolls right back out and hits a rock bottom on the floor. Well, so much for it being okay with the match story because Rock, maybe not so much a pro, just redoes the spot. Huge Rocky chant, though. Ray Fenix doesn't care. Rock rolls Punk inside for the cover. One, two, no, he kicked out. The crowd again is about 50-50. Both men are up. CM Punk hits a huge martial arts kick to the skull. But for some reason, CM Punk slapped his own thigh while kicking the rock. Maybe trying to get some feeling back in the old leg after the table collapse. It's a double down, but Punk is up first. Rock is up. They do the yeah, boo punches. But honestly, it's more like the yeah, yeah punches. Neither man can control the entire crowd. It's a fucking, it's it's great to see, actually. You'll, you'll love to see stuff like this. Flying clothesline by The Rock. Main event spinebuster. Oh, my God! The Rock does the arm movements. He throws the pad. It's time for the people's elbow! Right as The Rock goes to drop the elbow into the heart of a CM Punk, the lights in the arena go out. Is this WCW 2000 all of a sudden? And much like the ill-fated broadcast of Sunday Night Heat from 1999, just a few weeks before WrestleMania 15, that was live from the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio, and I was there, Michael Cole has to describe what's happening because the lights are out. Because, you know, how many people remember? Everybody remembers Beware of Dog and Beware of Dog 2. Okay, nobody remembers the broadcast of Sunday Night Heat from the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio, that due to atmospheric conditions was a radio broadcast. I was so furious to get home and find out this thing didn't air on Sunday Night Heat because I'm pretty sure that I got on camera. Later, the WWE Network would would have this episode in full that you can actually watch. And no, I didn't get on camera, but it's hilarious listening to Kevin Kelly and Terry Taylor describe the action as if they're on the radio. But that's all I wanted to get across. Cole's, you know, commentating like they're on the radio. He's like, someone, someone is destroying our announce table. And immediately, we all know what's up because, you know, we get it. But if they were to take this to court, like if this were to be entered as evidence, there's no way that a jury wouldn't find CM Punk guilty of hiring the Shield to attack The Rock because there is no mistaking the grunting noises made by Seth Franklin Rollins. Great moment where camera flashes briefly illuminate the face of The Rock as he's suspended in the air for the shield bomb. It's a happy accident, but it's beautiful. Michael Cole yells, It's the shield! Even though he has no proof. Well, I guess except for the gruntings of Colby, but whatever. Uh, alleged shield bomb through the table. The lights come on and the shield is nowhere to be found. Rock is laying on the exploded table. Mike Kyoto doesn't know what happened. Michael Cole 
fucking strikes into action like he's Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Mike Keota, it was the shield! Objection! It was the shield! JBL yells, shut up, you stooge! CM Punk sits up and smiles, looking at the destruction. Cole yells at the ref some more. My JBL makes the final final suggestion. Stay out of it, Mackle! He actually said, Mackle. CM Punk limps outside to get the rock. Punk does a shrug like, what happened? What happened? It was the shield, Punk! It was the shield! Who? I have nothing to do with the shield, Punk replies to Michael Cole. CM Punk rolls in the rock. He makes the cover. One! Two! Three! Whoa. (laughs) The crowd kind of pops, but there's definitely some angry fans. I think, honestly, it's mostly... We're angry because it wasn't a real finish. I think everybody wanted to see a real finish regardless of who they were cheering for. But, you know, the Punk neckbeard fans are just like, yay, Punk's still the champ because that matters for some reason. Call it to personality plays. Rock's mom is oh so very sad. CM Punk kicks the Rock out of the ring and poses shades of Shawn Michaels at Good Friends Better Enemies like, this is my ring, this is my ring. It does some Hulk Hogan flexing. Again, shades of Michaels at Good Friends Better Enemies. Suddenly, a no chance. That's what you've got to a huge pop. Maybe the biggest pop Vince McMahon has ever received. Vince, <laughs> you know, I don't, well, I don't know. Back to that huge pop, just to pontificate. I don't know if they really wanted The Rock to win. But again, I think they wanted to finish regardless. And, I, and that's why Vince gets the pop. But Vince is here with the microphone. Pretty sure he's not going to attempt to get in the ring to restart this thing. It seems to me, CM Punk, that your celebration is over. It's time to strip you of the World Wrestling Federation Championship. What's that? Oh, we didn't see the shield. Sure, it's a technicality. But as chairman of the board, it is my duty to officially... Oh, no, 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 no. The Rock has a microphone. It's not going to end like that. You don't take it from him. I do. Oh, how meta, Dwayne. Restart the match right now. Apparently, The Rock has booking power. Vince kind of strokes the chin like, hmm. All right, you heard the man. Restart the match. The bell rings, but The Rock is still hurting, and CM Punk begins to stomp a mud hole. He's furious and pissed off and saying things like, The match is over. I already won. Eerily similar to the WrestleMania 12 ending. Fitting. Because uh, this fire burns. That being my hatred for Punk and Bret Hart equally. Punk is poised to strike to huge Rocky Chance. Well, they've certainly ended the crowd split. So smart booking. Punk hits the running knee. He goes up top. But what about your leg injury, Phil? Oh, well. CM Punk does the savage elbow. My God, it looks so awful. He covers one, two, no, Rock kicks out. Hey, you know how else you could say Rock kicks out? You could say RKO. That's a bad joke. Uh, CM Punk makes a sleeping hand gesture. He attempts to go to sleep, but no, the Rock wiggles out, hits the main event spinebuster, and oh my god, he once again signals for the people's elbow. He does it! He drives the elbow into the heart of CM Punk. CM Punk, the performer, is unconscious. CM Punk, the man, 
looks very angry. The Rock makes the cover. One, two, three. <laughs> oh, I think it's fucking hilarious that CM Punk had to lay down for the people's elbow. You know he was pissed. <laughs> oh, Phil, calm the fuck down. Jesus Christ. The Rock's mama is happy. The crowd is insanely happy that The Rock won. I'm still laughing that Punk got pinned by the people's elbow. There's nothing wrong with getting pinned by the people's elbow, by the way, okay? It's just hilarious because you know CM Punk did not want to do it. Come on, just can we please do The Rock Bottom? And that You never let Vince McMahon and The Rock smell blood. Because the moment Punk objects, like, can we do The Rock Bottom? You know Vince and Dwayne are going to double down and, oh, you know, it really should probably be the people's elbow. Because they just want to fuck with you, Phil. Because that's what they like to do. Get over it. The Rock is an eight-time champ. Punk immediately leaves the ring. I think I've also joined Team Rock here at the end. I was split, but when I saw The Rock pin with the people's elbow, I'm absolutely fucking Team Rock here. Uh, Punk leaves to probably go to complain to Colt Cabana that he's the real workhorse at WWE. Sorry, bro. I don't care how popular you are as a wrestler, but you'll never be more important than a wrestler that transcends the wrestling business. I'm sorry. I respect your, your work ethic, Phil. I do. But get over it and figure out how the business works and just keep making money. But uh, the scene here at Ray Fenix Arizona Stadium ends. The Rock is the champion, and Punk is no more. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the fun and games are over, and it's time to get serious. Because, after all, there's only one match left to go. And we, of course, are again traveling back in time. On March 29th, 1987, 93,173 fans crowded the absolutely jam-packed Pontiac Silverdome to witness a match for the ages. But it was nothing compared to what occurred live on December 19th, 1999, when 8,582 fans sat comfortably most likely with some extra legroom and an empty chair next to them to hold their large winter coats in the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. for the number one match that brings joy to the wrestling world. Brett the Hitman Hart defends his the WCW Championship against the man, the thug life, Goldberg. We start with a video recap as Bret Hart wins the 64-person tournament for the vacant WCW Heavyweight Championship belt strap at WCW Mayhem by making Chris Benoit tap. He says he will be the best champion in the WCW has ever had. And yes, he said the WCW. Goldberg respects the hitman, and Bret respects Goldberg. But come Starcade, you're next. They respect each other so much that they form a tag team in the weeks leading to Starcade and on Thunder. 
they defeated Creative Control to win the WCW Tag Team Championships when special referee Rowdy Roddy Piper made the three count. And then, later on WCW Nitro, the outsiders Scott Hall and Kevin Nash challenged this team. When Kevin Nash said, according to the closed captioning, how about you put those cat belts on the line? You know, because we're a couple of cool cats. Ugh. I mean, does that even make... Hey, closed captioning guy, come here. Read the sentence out loud. How about you put those cat belts on the line? I don't understand, Mr. Nash. What's the problem? You don't understand. All right, fuck it. We're rolling with cat belts. Later that night, Bret Hart was attacked and injured. Shocker. Goldberg defended the tag straps alone until Bret Hart limped into action. Goldberg speared Scott Hall. Bret Hart collapsed in pain. Kevin Nash covered Bret for the old one, two, three, and the tag team championships were gone. Bret then guaranteed that he will win at Starcade on an episode of Nitro. Back live now, Mike Tanay is with Bret Hart at the tiny Starcade interview set. Bret Hart has no sweet jacket, no sweet hitman sunglasses, just his singlet and the gold belt. In all seriousness, what's with the minimal presentation that Brett had in WCW? Like, why did he not bring any of his accoutrement? Because he looks so uninteresting. This match is no disqualification, and Brett is a man of his word. No matter what happens, Bill Goldberg is going to lose. You know, when I came to WCW, I knew I was going to have to prove myself against Bill Goldberg. He's ready. He will walk out the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And then, Shades of the Kid at Wembley Stadium adds, whether Bill Goldberg likes it or not, Brett walks. Michael Buffer makes the call. This is the final Starcade of the 20th century. Who will lead us into the new millennium? Are we ready? The crowd cheers. From the capital city of the USA, Washington, District Columbia, we are ready to rumble! Brett's broke-ass guitar music starts playing. Not as a form of a question, but as a statement from Michael Buffer. Tony lets us know. Uh, oh, by the way, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Hardway Scott Hudson are on the call. Hudson immediately makes his presence known with a statement. That's because there is no question. We're ready for this one. No disqualification. There will be a winner. We say there must be a winner. That's for the contractual legal guy. There will be a winner. We will know who will lead World Championship Wrestling into the new millennium. Michael Buffer resumes. From the greatest family of professional wrestling in the history of the sport, he is the best there is, the best there was, and best there ever will be. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the reigning and defending undisputed WCW heavyweight champion of the world, Brett, the Hitman Clark. Some loser has a sign that says Heart of WCW. The drums sound. Doug Dillinger knocks on the bathroom door. Goldberg emerges and walks. Now, one of the guards 
of security, of a security nature, that's standing and walking next to Bill Goldberg is wearing a blue windbreaker from 1973 that rules. But this dude looks like a middle-aged Napoleon Dynamite, and it's taking me completely out of the scene here. There's a huge Goldberg chant. The announcers bring up Owen Hart. Bad idea. Just let it go, guys. I mean, it's not a wrestling storyline. Don't bring it in. Goldberg emerges from the back. He eats his pyro. And folks, as the pyro envelopes the screen, the screen is nothing but blazing white hot pyrotechnic sparks. The Napoleon Dynamite security guy walks right across the frame and blocks everything with his gigantic dome. It's amazing because it looks like a bad special effect that was added in post-production and it apps a fucking lootly rules. Buffer resumes his call. The man stands six feet four. The man weighs 291 pounds. The man who has waited for this moment. The man whose power spear and jackhammer body slam and pin has mowed mowed down all the opposition. The man is ready for the challenge. The man who is the former WCW heavyweight champion of the world. The man is Goldberg. Wow. His jackhammer body slam and pin. Did Kevin Nash write these cue cards? <laughs> Actually, that'd be great. Hey, hey, Scott, look at this. I got a hold of Buffer's cue cards. <laughs> the referee in charge of the encounter, I think it's Mickey J, maybe, I don't know, holds up the four pounds of gold. He gives his instructions to the uh, combatants. There's a handshake of honor, and the bell rings. And the number one match on our list begins the combatants circle one another they lock up how appropriate that these two men Bret Hart and Goldberg send off 1990 with a bang Jesus Scott the lockup ends with a rope break I don't think Bret Hart is going to win a battle of muscles lockup number two Bret Hart gets slammed down Let me tell you something. Goldberg is an athlete. He played college ball, pro ball. He's not some guy that wears a size medium shirt that hangs out at the gym all day. Oh, I can't hear you, Tony. Lockup number three. A side headlock takedown, and Bret Hart is in control. Goldberg is up. Irish whip! Shoulder block. Goldberg is in control. A gorilla press slam! (laughs) Bill almost drops Bret. But he does fall onto Bill's shoulder for the shoulder slam. Take him. He's yours. Take him now. Yells Bobby. Uh Uh-oh, Braid. Better not let the boys in the back look through your search history. I mean, I'm cool with it. But I'm not sure they will be. No pin, however, from Goldberg. Goldberg picks up Brett. Irish whip. Reverse. Short lariat by Goldberg. Goldberg picks up Brett. Irish whip. Reverse. Another short clothesline by Goldberg. Man, I am hanging on pins and needles with every Irish whip and counter. I don't know why. It just feels like it could be important. And my God, Goldberg then flips and rolls Bret Hart into a cross arm breaker. Shades of Latin sensation. Alberto Del Rio. Get down, get funky. Bret Hart, God help us all. He stands up and and he goes sharp. Sharpshooter. It's kind of impressive, I will admit. But Goldie is too powerful and kicks Brett away. Brett has the ropes, so separation is made between the two athletes. Now, Brett Hart takes a breather. Goldberg follows outside. 
Brett punches Bill and then whips Bill Goldberg into the security rail. But uh-oh, Bill has also run directly into the referee. We're going to need another Timmy. Bret Hart is then tossed into the announce table by Bill Goldberg. A little Nate Charles Robinson has emerged, so yay, referees are here. Bret gets rammed into the security rail face first, and then Goldberg gives Bret the full Savage Crush Summit. Back inside now, Irish Whip, Big Boot! It was a Hogan-style Big Boot, though. Okay. All right, that's cool. A mild Goldberg chant starts. Bill does a convoluted hip toss. And, uh, well, as Brett flips over, Charles Robinson eats defeat of the hitman and is out of commission. Goldberg covers, but there's no referee. So Goldberg says, well, I'm just stand over here in the corner in the spear position. Brett luckily goes to the corner diagonal from Bill. Goldberg runs, but Brett moves, and Bill eats the middle turd buckle pad. Brett slides to the outside, rams the cock of a Bill Goldberg into the solid steel post. Brett locks in the heart lock! Referee Johnny Boone, no relation, is here. And <laughs> when Brett Hart falls backward to lock in the heart lock, Goldberg's cross leg completely pops out of position. So fans, I ask, what is Bret Hart locking? Hmm? Goldberg is screaming in pain for some reason, even though his leg is free from the traumatic scenario. The crowd is now booing, but also still chanting Goldberg. Both athletes are down on the outside. Goldberg is holding the knee for some reason. Big Bill Goldberg chant now, like it gets really loud. You hear the eerie Goldberg chant. They want the bomb to get the gold here at Starcade. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, Scott. Literally the only thing in that sentence that made any sense was the word Starcade. Eerie? I mean, it is a Goldberg. It is sort of haunting. Because, you know, but not as haunting as those Sith Lords who were chanting when Ray took on Palpatine. That was spooky. And fucking stupid. But uh, what's with calling Bill... The bomb. They want the bomb to get the gold here at Stargate. Is that some sort of pre-heel version? The Thug Life nickname that you're trying to get over for Bill? The bomb! Goldberg is here, Tony! The Thug Life is here, Tony. Brett tosses Bill inside. Brett's working on the left leg. Tony says that the leg is now vulnerable. As opposed to vulnerable, Tony? Some female fan at ringside is yelling, which is fine. She paid a ticket. But she sounds just like Sensational Queen Sherry. Just wanted to point that out because Sherry rules. Brett continues to work the leg even though Bill is in the ropes. It's totally legal in this match, but for some reason, referee Johnny Boone, again no relation, enforces a five count. Snapmare by Brett the Hitman Hart locks in a figure four dead center ring. Goldberg, however, is not ready to quit. Tony lets us know why. They're chanting the man's name using rebounds. He responds to it. Rebounds? <laughs> All right. One count by referee Johnny Boone. Goldberg turns over the figure four. Brett grabs the ropes. The ref calls for a break in this no DQ match. And now a very loud Goldberg sucks champ breaks out. Well, Tony was right. That thing really did rebound. Bret Hart still has the leg of Goldberg, but Bill punches out. Bret pounces, and some more legwork from the pink-tided superstar. 
Goldberg kind of hawks up and goozles Brett, tosses Brett into the corner, and strikes with fists of fireworks and football. Bill yells at the referee. Brett takes advantage of Bill's distraction and kicks his hurt leg. He then rakes the eyes of the challenger, swings back a wild punch that hits Johnny Boone. Johnny Boone is out of here. Brett has Bill in the turnbuckle scenario position. Looks like he's going to Irish whip him diagonally into the other turnbuckle. Bret Hart changes his mind. Well, let's see if it's a good idea, shall we? Bret centers Bill Goldberg in the center of the Starcade 99 ring. Irish whip! Goldberg reverses. Bret bounces. Runs toward Bill. Sweet chin music! Sweet chin music! My God in heaven! It's the sweet chin music! Brett is down! Brett is down! Brett is down! Joy has truly been brought to Johnny C. Uh, something happened here, though. Uh, my tape feed cut. Everything just went black, and uh, I guess uh, I guess the match ended. Wow. That's weird. I don't. I guess that's the end of it. I guess that's the end of the match. Well, I mean, hey, that's fine. I think that's really all you need to watch to have joy brought to the professional wrestling world. Crazy. Crazy that Bret Hart would once again fall victim to the sweet chin music. It just goes to show you that HBK ain't nothing to fuck with. HBK ain't nothing to fuck with. However, I think I've uh, probably worn out my welcome at this point. But uh, hopefully, hopefully if you get stressed out by the holidays, this playlist can help you shake away the cobwebs and clear your head. But if visual isn't your thing, don't forget you can always go audio. And there's at least 100 hours of audio here on the new TNN podcast feed. So make sure you tell your friends all about it, especially this episode, because they're going to love this one. I hope you had a good time and some joy was spread. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. And joy to the world.